Welcome back to season two of Son of a Preacher Man with Jonathan Martin, a podcast all about finding beauty and brokenness, grace and grit, God and the ambiguity of the in-between. This week, Jonathan sits down with Luke and Krista Gifford to chat about divorce in our culture, how to discern when separation and divorce can be necessary, the redemption of marriage, how many Christians get married to have sex, and the ways God can redeem anything. Part one of this episode is on Luke and Krista's Head to Heart podcast, so make sure to check it out. For those of you who are married, Luke and Krista are hosting their Master Heart Marriage Intensive May 3rd through the 5th in Nashville, Tennessee, and we wanted to make sure you know about it. They will be teaching couples to lay aside the piles of pain they bring into the relationship and learn practices for intimacy, attraction, and sexual friction. If you are interested in attending, go to KristaBlackGifford.com for more information. So please enjoy this episode today, and we look forward to hearing from you. Jesus said that I'm going to tear the temple down and rebuild it in three days. I literally went through that process Mm -hmm. psychologically. Mm -hmm. So Good Friday morning is my all of my internal identity structures the temple of my identity structures were confronted they split they came clear and they came crashing down over the next three days and were a whole, all new identity structures were formed a new temple was built inside myself and i have been a completely different person and you know when i look at the way i perceive and synthesize my life and what we're talking about we attract people into our life that helps us heal the internal world. And if you look at Jesus's life, there was lots of resistance to him being who he was uh, around him until he decided to die and resurrect. Then there was very little resistance. And the resistance, all of the resistance that went away was inside Jesus. Because you can imagine a human trying to come to terms with his, the fact that he's God's son. He's defined, but he's fully human. He's got to go through the process of the law. He's got to go through the process of embodying, okay, I'm a, I'm a human. I'm a man. How am I also God? How am I also equal to God? How, what, what? Like, how do I integrate those two things? And then he has to go through the process of death, sit in the bottom of hell, and from the inside go, oh, I still feel like heaven inside myself now. And I'm fully sure of that. And so even in hell, he, he knows I am heaven. And that empowers him to then resurrect and become the man that he's meant to be. And he can be whatever form he needs to take in front of whomever he needs to take. And, but, but his strong sense of self never goes away. And he's able to do whatever he wants to do at that point to serve humanity. I've never thought about this before, but in hell, I remember Paul Young saying to us, um, you know, We think Jesus went to hell on his own, but where was the Holy Spirit? Mm. You know, where was the aspect of the Spirit? The Spirit was in Christ. God was in Christ, in the Spirit, reconciling the world to himself. And I've never thought about the aspect of Jesus being in the darkness with the aspect of the feminine. Mm. Because the Holy Spirit does have a lot of characteristics of the nurturer, the comforter, you know, this, these aspects of the feminine that were in the chaos, in, in hell, and that, that that was, you know, a lot of times Luke will t- teach in his men's courses that men have to become, um, and you can say this better, but you have to 
and I teach this with my women. We haven't gotten to with this in my women's circle, but I demonize my inner masculine a lot. Right. The part of me that gets things done. Men demonize their inner feminine as opposed to go to hell and find that that portion of them is actually a lot of times the guide out of hell. So for me last year, when I was in my hell, it was the feminine that came and the feminine portion of God that came and loved me, but it was also very directional. It was very like penetrative, linear. I felt the fatherly aspects of God and hell. This is what you need to do. And my hell, I actually had the reconciling with father to get me out of it, which I've never thought about before, you know, which that's not in scripture because we don't have a female Christ, you know, but for women, we, we have to die a bit to our inner feminine and reconcile the inner masculine in us. Does that make sense? Am mm-hmm. I making any sense? It does. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm tracking for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my wheels are spinning on multiple of these things are so <laughs> wonderful. Cause like for one, I think, you know, it's a real feeling. Jesus, of course, is, but he's quoting from the Psalms when he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken yes. me? There, it's, there's a real feeling of God forsakenness. But this is what's so distorted about this whole idea that people will hear, you know, like the father turns his face away from Jesus. What actually you learn from the descent to hell is that you're not alone. Is there yes. is no separation. The yes. Spirit is always with you. And that's, and that's the journey for Jesus, which to me, this is the great lie about Western Christianity. Is we've turned this into the cross is something that Jesus has done for you. So believe in Jesus and you're exempt from the cross. Whereas mm-hmm. what Jesus actually says is take up your cross and follow me, which is a way of saying, go this path. This What was the path for Jesus has to be the path for us. Yes. Death and resurrection is the pattern that's embedded in all things. And I mean, yes. if, there's, if, there's a, if there's just one reason at this point that I really believe in God at this point in my life, it's probably that. It's that God <laughs> has so brilliantly hardwired the story of death and resurrection into all created things. And so it's like, even if we resist it, it, it's scripted in such a way to where it will happen to us. The only thing that we, that God won't make us do that God will not coerce us. And that's always the trick is God won't force us to attend to it and listen to it. Uh -uh. We still have to listen to our own lives. And and this is where a lot of people don't own their power. And ultimately power is uh, destruction and creation, destruction and creation. And oftentimes we have a hard time with destruction as opposed to knowing, okay, it's time for me to destroy this mm. so that I can then birth something new. Like death and rebirth, death and rebirth. That's the cycles that we're constantly in. And if we would own our power, we would know and be bold enough to go, okay, this needs to die. Let's do it gracefully so that we can then rebirth into something that's way better for where we need to be in the moment. But see, the problem, I think, with a lot of Christianity is that we were all taught, well, I was, you know, that... Jesus went to hell, so you don't have to. So then you feel so much guilt when you're experiencing hell as opposed to seeing Jesus as the way going, let me show you the Mm -hmm. way to die gracefully, to die to self, to die to the ego, to to put to death these things so that, and you have to go to that depth of hell because you have your human nature. You have your matriarchal, patriarchal lineage. You have all of your traumas. You have to go through that death. And I feel like there's a lot of people, especially even in marriages, back to that, you feel guilt that you are, that your marriage feels like hell, as opposed to going, oh, Jesus came to show us the way into hell to find spirit there to gain the keys for transfiguration and then have something resurrected on the other side. Jesus came to show us how to go through hell. 
Yeah. Right. He came not to, to go there for us, but to show us what we're capable of doing while we go through hell. And it's interesting, you were talking about, you quoted the scripture of Jesus saying, why have you forsaken me? And I, because I do men, work with men, the other thing that triggers initiation in, in men is when their fathers or grandfathers die. And uh-huh. I have this conversation with him a lot. And I had two conversations with two different guys yesterday about their dads dying. And both of them are in this place where they're trying to they're trying to step into the place that their father held. Their internal understanding of this, inside myself, I've always thought of my father carrying these energies. And I give him the language for this. But now it's my time to step into that. So that void needs to be needs to happen so that this man can then step into those roles of fully embracing who he is as the patriarch. And it's it's men that don't do that that mm-hmm. cause unhealthy yes. patriarchy. Yes. But men that are willing to step into that. And so I use that particular scripture and in interpretation of Jesus going, why have you forsaken me? Well, if we understand it this way, that Jesus' awareness of that presence he had always that energy inside of us that presence that awareness of father was gone all of a sudden now he has to step into it he has to fully own his divinity my identity as oh i'm i'm now and this is it oh i'm now i'm now just okay with this i am okay with this energy now i'm fully able to embody and own that i have this kind of power Mm-hmm. and I'm okay with it, and I know how to use it, and I don't want to, I'm not going to not own it, because not owning it, I then become abusive. Not owning it, I then become impotent, and that causes all kinds of situations. Mm-hmm. So let me actually believe in myself enough to then own this power, and then I resurrect, and then I'm able to have a whole new identity structure, a whole new presence, a whole new resurrected life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, he tells us himself, and that's the thing, I think, for people, especially for whom this sounds strange is keep in mind that Jesus is the one who says, I am the way. <laughs> the way. Wait, what do you think? Like, what that means? He's the way. Jesus is the path. I'm the path. So Let me like show you. I'm a, the model. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Man, how do we spend so much of our lives missing that? I mean, it changes, it changes everything. And, and, and then projecting our, and every person's, and here's, here's what's going to get tricky and people are going to be like, you're a freaking heretic. Every person's, way into that way looks different you know it's he widens (laughs) the path beneath your feet because for me for us our story of following that way to father was ugly and looked like deconstruction and looked like bombs going off and looked like messes and what people do is they judge the chapter as opposed to looking how god sees at the heart and the bigger picture of what the heart, what these calamities are trying to get to in the heart. And we judge, oh, this is where they on, are on the story. We separate, we mm-hmm. cut people off. You know, I had, yeah. Particulars. I, they get into the particulars. Right. And particular, love never deals in particulars. Ever. Right? It's a framework. And this is why I was just thinking about your book, Prototype the way that I try to teach men is I'm going to give you a framework or a prototype. These are just the bare bones. These are just the, this is like the wood framing. You put the particulars on Mm -hmm. it. You, you learn the framing and learn it for yourself and learn it really good because this is how all these things are going to work well. But then you put your own flavor on this, the particular and the way that this is kind of silly, but the way that I think about it is that we're all ice cream, but your flavor 
is cookies and cream. My flavor is mint chocolate chip. Your flavor is Rocky Road. There, are, we have a prototype. <laughs> you get the Rocky Road. <laughs> I was afraid you'd call me vanilla. I don't want to be the one vanilla person around the spiritually sexy folks. He's real. He's real. Martin's vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was uh, sorry. I wasn't trying to. I wasn't trying to put any meaning in that. I was just trying to come up with stuff that was coming out. So don't. I love do that, that you'll take Rocky Road over vanilla. I would. I actually would. <laughs> but Jesus was the framework. Yeah. He showed us all what was possible. And, and again, to make this even more practical, what you're saying is as many different human beings as have lived, there are that many different ways yes. that they are all going to come. You had experiences that I didn't have. So mm-hmm. he needed to be a framework for you to step into. You know, the way I, when I look at this, I think of a stairwell, the framework of a stairwell. And you needed to be able to step into the stairwell to get to where you need to go. I can come into the same stairwell, even though I have different experiences and I walked a different road, but they all have one meeting point. And it's in that meeting point that the shift can happen. He was the framework. He was, It's not the particulars of the way he went about it. It's the fact that he showed us how to go through it. How, how to, to hold the, inter- death and the, internal, the internal process while you go through the hell, right? Yes. And this is where, you know, I think it, it, I find an interesting nuance. It, you know, Chris, you talked about it kind of making the path wider, but I think it makes it both wider and more narrow at the same time. Because the mm-hmm. one hand, it's wider insofar that, as you say, everybody's story looks different. Everybody's way to get into this looks different. But where it's, I do think it is a narrow road, and I understand that differently than I used to, is that precisely because it's narrow is, well, nobody wants to really walk the path of death that leads to resurrection, nope. which is what I'm coming to see now, that where we really do have a culture that is, especially when it broadly in denial, it does feel like the path can feel especially narrow right now yes. because everything's constantly conspiring to tell us that we don't have to die to get to resurrection. So in that regard, it is a narrow path because I think narrow. so many, so it many is. people, it's always like nobody wants the herd. to die. That's right. Nobody That's wants right. to feel that kind of pain. That's right. Nobody wants to put themselves in. They, nobody wants to drown. Yes. And all of the emotional and physical stuff that comes along with drowning. But the Bible actually says God makes the path wider. Psalm 18.36, you widen the path beneath my feet when I trip. And that's that significant. It's the tripping. So for me, this is kind of how I see it. When I was stumbling around in the dark, God kept widening the path. That's right. The path was always there. I'm tripping. He's like, well, let me, let's make a path over here. I'm tripping. Oh, let's, you went through a divorce. Let's widen the path. Now this is the path. Oh, let's trip. You, you know, you screwed up, you cheated. Let's widen the path over here. But then when you wake up to the path, the way is narrow. I, my narrow focus on a daily basis, I can't just, I can't even just eat anything I want to eat anymore because I know that it dulls my awareness of my embodiment of the the spirit in me to be able to feel into somebody else's world and ecosystem so that is where it gets very narrow but when you are tripping the path god will widen the, the path towards whatever whatever way you stumble and trip the, the, you know and where i the christian culture has tripped they get tripped up on the people tripping <laughs> right? and the yes. thing the thing why is the path narrow because people who, people, if you haven't initiated yourself through death, you don't, you don't deserve to be able to dole out death and ho- hold in your hand the power of death 
and, and resurrection, destruction and creation. And it's only people that are willing to go through their own sense of ego, ego death or death of their old structure or death of whatever it is their process is that can really understand the power that they carry and the power that God has bestowed upon them to be a powerful human being. So in that regard, uh, you know, another path that's very narrow is the Navy SEAL path. It's a very narrow path. And they make it that way because those guys have got to be bad A human beings. Or they die. And they've got to make sure <laughs> that they're going to show up for each other because that's a narrow path. Mm-hmm. And we, we have, in my opinion, we have completely misjudged and misinterpreted why the path is narrow and for what purpose the path is narrow. And, you know, what's another narrow path? Uh, a narrow path if you're going to be a heart surgeon, <laughs> yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You know, you need to be skilled yes. in something in order to be able to accomplish your task that's and your right. purpose on the earth. But it doesn't mean that you know the person who's in prison doesn't have a path under them. Yeah, that's right. That grace is so big. You know, back to the victim thing. I wanted to touch on this that we talked about earlier, where you were like, "Wow, if you're a victim, you really cannot find breakthrough." Yeah. This is the reason why I have always come back to the teachings of Jesus, because I believe and something that I'm teaching my women in our women's circle that I'm like, why have we not been taught this in Christianity? You have to practice your innocence and your nervous system because it is so counterintuitive to oh, I love this conversation. your nature of shame. And it goes back to our idea of, I think what the church is going to morph into is um, there hasn't been a lot of hows, you know, like it's like, let's have a sermon and let's have like a worship thing and then let's do things for the community. And all of those things are great. But how do I die to self? Like what is a yogic you know, you think about going to a yoga class and they're like, oh, well, let's teach you how to move and contort your body in a certain way. Or let's go to play. This is how you learn to play basketball. The hows have been lost. Right. The practices of Christianity, of coming oh, to the table like you talk about. of, And I think the new church model is the church of the body. It's the church of the nervous system where Jesus is like, I'm taking down that external temple. I'm going to resurrect it in my nervous system. And I'm going to teach you how to do the same. Well, that requires practices, practicing your innocence. And I have to, on a regular basis, practice my innocence in my nervous system. It's, it does not feel comfortable because I have a list of things that make me guilty that I deserve punishment for, or that I screw up being i have to practice the ecosystem of heaven and practice that innocence which removes my victim it removes me um being a victim and deserving punishment or being hurt or you did this to me Mm -hmm. and that is the the you know apex magnum opus teaching of jesus of grace of you are forgiven at every moment you have access to love so these practices of that remove the victim aspect but then when you realize that we were talking the other day and i was practicing my innocence towards myself and i'm like you know people have such a hard time because luke were very vocal he was like i was with other women in our separation and 
when you practice your innocence, you have to extend that to other people as well. Otherwise, you're, it's, it's dualistic. It's either for everyone or it's for no one. So when you get into the teachings of Jesus and in your nervous system, you're practicing the ecosystem of innocence, forgiveness becomes easier and it becomes an extension of the innocence that you're practicing in you and it removes that victimization. And what if in marriages, coming back full circle to the marriages, what if in marriages you had skills to practice your innocence so you stop projecting all of your, your inner guilt onto the person in front of you? I mean, what does that marriage look what a like? What to practice your attraction. What to practice, practice your like, attraction. And I love this conversation. I got a, got into a one of those Facebook fights. It wasn't really a fight. <laughs> there is a young pastor that I kind of, who posts, and I go at him a little bit just because I believe in him so much. Right. And I believe in where the church is going, that we need to be really clear about our definitions and the redefining of certain things. And uh, another guy piped in, and we were talking about you know, what is, what's your definition of sin? What's your definition of the heart? And I just kind of pulling out on him. And this other guy gets on and he says, what is the heart? Is it just a feeling in your body? And, and he moved on and he basically discounted that. And I came back and said, actually, everyone's experience of anything is happening inside their body. So yes, your feeling of your heart is in your body. And it is a feeling in your body. And it's designed to be that way, as is your experience of God. It's never outside of you. Never. When you're hearing people, you know, you've heard me say this so many times on this podcast, when you're listening, what you're hearing is not happening from the speakers. It's happening inside your skin, inside your eardrums. Your whole experience of your whole life happens in your body. So it's very important that you learn how to do all these things in your nervous system because God is in your nervous Mm -hmm. system. He designed Mm -hmm. it to be that way. And so we must learn what all these things feel like throughout our body. But we've had a theology teaching us that our flesh is the demon. Our flesh is the bad guy. When really our flesh is the house of God. It's the temple that houses him. And it can be experienced in a very practical, very aware way when we when we return, and it's actually instinctual in us. We just need to learn how to engage it and feel it and run the energy of it through our bodies and let that become the primary awareness that we have, which is I've spent so much time with the real thing that anything that's fake or anything that doesn't feel like that, I immediately know this doesn't belong. That's so good. And a quick theological riff. I always feel like one of the great translation errors of all time in terms of destruction of people's lives is, you know, the classic kind of English translation of Paul's whole thing about spirit and flesh, which I'm just not willing to let Paul get blamed for this. Because I think if you study that in Mm -hmm. context, there's no way that that ever meant body. I mean, Christianity is so opposite (laughs) of that. that's, That's what's so wild about Christianity in the first century is that in this very Gnostic context where everybody's trying to transcend their body. There's this belief in a bodily resurrection. Paul didn't believe that bodies are bad. If you, right. if you read the flesh and spirit stuff and you simply insert for flesh, either ego or false self, that's, that's what it. Paul's talking that's about. Totally it's the spirit versus false self. About. It's spirit and yes. ego. That's what the whole thing is about. But yes. if you see it as flesh, 
skin, skin body is the enemy wow no wonder you demonize your sexuality up. i mean yes and even here the ego your sexual is, urges the ego is bad right. the ego actually serves you absolutely it, it actually helps protect you and guard you and and it's like we talk, we talk about it like it's our dog that sits at the door guarding our house and she's really soft and tender but she does bark at things that she gets a little afraid of yeah and that actually aware oh oh that helps me know what i need to do now and then it becomes a, a, a integrated into the larger part. Mm-hmm. You know, the body is is part of a much larger internal experience, divine experience. And so, again, it becomes a part of your divine experience as opposed to the separation of divine and flesh and God and human. That No, they can be all one and experienced as one in your nervous system. Yes. We got to learn how to practice that. Yes. Mm-hmm. The practices for that and the embodiment of that which is what we're trying to do. Yeah, and what you're trying to do at the table. Mm-hmm. You know, practice yes. is coming together Absolutely. at the table as opposed to, I mean, nobody just wants to hear you speak, Jonathan. No, I don't think they do. I don't think <laughs> they do. <laughs> but it's true, like how do we... I'm just kidding. But that's the thing, is that people are so indoctrinated and they're so conditioned to just going here, hearing like right. the concept. superstar speak yes. concept that yes. we have to re negotiate what people think church right. and community actually are if it's going to survive. <laughs> Everyone's I leaving. Completely Not that. everyone. I don't want to say that. That's a very generalist statement. But a lot of people are is leaving. It's an association and a mirror of the conversation that started, the separation in marriage. Wow, yeah. We're actually going mm-hmm. through, there are many people, we call this devotional deconstruction, where they're separating from the church yeah. Going and figuring out who they are, what beliefs they really have, not the ones that they were given, and then deciding when to come back into a very uh, different, renegotiated, you know, cl- clearer version of what what they want. Mm-hmm. And that's really good because uh, a lot of people's identities are so enmeshed, like a right. codependent marriage, with their church body, and they don't know where they begin and where you know, the church ends and they don't know, you know, a lot of people, the pastor is their God and they only do, there's no sense of that self to where you can say, no, I actually am a new mom and I don't need to be serving right now, you know, or um, no, that's not in alignment with my core values. I can say no. And there's, when you don't have that sense of self inside of the marriage of your physical marriage on the earth or the marriage that people have with kind of a body of believers, it gets really incestuous. It gets very, and it, and then people, when they end up leaving a church body, they feel like they got a divorce. It's, it feels like betrayal. It feels like we lost our family. We lost, and you know, oh, yeah. yeah. And then eventually they will, they will simplify and they will get really clear on what they, who they are and mm-hmm. what beliefs are theirs and what belief was that they don't agree with, with these people over here, with the, the the culture or the what's the word I'm looking for the the yeah the church body. Maybe I don't agree with the way they're doing things, and that's okay. And then they realize this is me. This is what I am. Now I can actually be back inside and a part of that because I have a clear sense of self. Mm-hmm. And they actually become a much more powerful presence in that culture. That's right. But you can't go home until you leave. You know what I'm saying? And that's where it's, it's, that's where it's really valuable, man. That's where the the process can be done. Uh, again, 
devotional deconstruction is a thing. So as is within the marriage conversation, the separation for connection. That's what they're, that's what really looking, we're all looking for that. We're looking for that sense of love. But if we don't know how to, we've been projecting into the external world our entire lives that I need you to love me and I need you to love me and I need you to give me love. And we never have to do the work and we're never taught how to love ourselves first. All of the, once we learn the love inside of ourselves, then it is very easy to see how other people have been trying to love us the whole time. And we have been the one rejecting and killing and, and, you know, holding our hands up and saying no to the love they've been trying to give us Mm -hmm. because we have not really believed we're lovable internally. And the separation really is ultimately about that. Can I love myself? Can I love, whether it's in marriage or whether it's in, you know, jobs or whether it's in church, the separation is about figuring out how you love yourself. Because you do, you just got to find it. Mm-hmm. And you got to learn how to do it, which is important. Yeah. So um, with shipwreck and everything that you learned in that season of your life that's gotten you to this man and who you are now, you know, what would you say back to your 21-year-old self now? Like, what would be the wisdom that you'd give him? Would you tell him to do it all over again because of what you learned? I tell you what, the only thing I know for sure that I think I would tell the young version of me, and I think this is actually the command that appears most often in Scripture, I'd want to tell the young version of me, don't be afraid. Because yeah. I just feel like I lived all my life so, and not, not that I still don't ever now, but so much of my life was just so ruled by ultimately fear of death. Mm. And it's precisely because you fear loss too much, you fear death too much, that then, ironically, you know, I think that, that's, that's what sabotages everything. It's mm-hmm. fear. It's living from fear rather than love. And I think I just, what I see is such a, a scared little boy who was so afraid of, of any kind of loss, any kind of failure, any kind of death. And I just, I, I wish I would have known that this is the path, that this is the way, that this is the Jesus way. So that when that kind of mm-hmm. unraveling happens, instead of freaking out about it, that I could recognize, oh, no, this is, this is, this is grace hardwired into my right. life here. This is a means of liberation, you right. know, but instead it's like, you feel, it's like an instrument of torture and, or again, divine disapproval. This is what happens right. to people who do wrong. Right. Just ha- maybe wish you had a voice like an elder would in a tribe that goes, Hey, this is going to be messy, but you're supposed to do it. Yes. Yes. It's going to be real messy and I'm going to be here to watch you, but you might die, <laughs> but, you <laughs> but, you're might spo- die. but you're supposed to do it. It's designed this way. And instead, without shading anybody else, I can tell you, I absolutely would have only had elders in my life who would have said, at all costs, don't go this path. Really? Disruption is bad. Right. Yeah. Chaos. You know, like like anything that's that's not ordered, anything that doesn't look, look good. good would have been like, oh, you can't mm, avoid that at all costs. Especially on the in the ministry path, it's so interesting that people, as opposed to having had some sort of life initiation, now... They're esteemed if they're spotless, which means they haven't right. either had much initiation. And I'm not saying that that's totally a, a bad thing. Sure. It's just I tend to I like the trauma specialist that has been hit by a car. Mm. Like that's the right. guy that yeah, I want right. to go yeah. to. Yeah. 
Uh, and and like he I said, I don't want to generalize that. That's just a personal thing. Like for me, I I hack myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, I've had sexual abuse as a child. Let me hack that with spirit so I can teach you how to do it. So I I think that's where I gain authority to help people a lot of times. And like I said, I'm not saying you can't have authority as a healer if you haven't been wounded. But, you know, typically when I look at, if I look at the course of somebody's life, like for me, my destiny was to be a healer. So I think my, my wounding was scripted in. I think that it wasn't a shock to heaven because it was my initiation to what my calling was actually well, supposed to be. Yeah. Your days are laid out before you. Yeah, all of your days are written, Psalm 139, before one of them came to being. So if we have this destiny, and we've got a destiny to, say, be Nelson Mandela, you probably need to have been imprisoned and tortured and abused and need something to forgive in order to liberate an entire country from apartheid. And, you know, is that saying that God is the orchestrator of evil? No, God uses evil, I think, to bring about the destiny. So even in bad marriages, even in the path of, you know, you learning from that season of your life, it, it's, it's all usable. And I want to make sure and say that again and again and again, because I don't mm-hmm. want people to hear a saying that you've screwed it up if you got out of your marriage, or you've mm-hmm. screwed it up if you have kids. And your kid, no, that's actually their path. Now your kids and the divorce that they've been through and watching you synthesize and heal is actually what's going to be a part of their scripted path right. to, to d- fulfill their divine destiny as well. And yeah. even those leaders that were, the people you were looking to, that would have said, not like, I understand them too, because I would, I would assume that most of them are older than you. And they come from a generation that lived through depression and world wars. And so their view of life was very defined by literal, Avoid we are all, the, the whole death. world might die. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, it does instill a fear in you. And they ho- created an entire culture for safety, which is, thank God. Otherwise, I wouldn't have the balls I have. I wouldn't have the, the courage I have because I had such a foundation of safety because of those people. Mm-hmm. But now I have to decide who I am and what I want my world to look like in the future. So I even understand their oh, sure. proclivity for mm-hmm. towards, hey, don't disrupt. Mm-hmm. We had a guy disrupt and he almost killed the whole world, you know, speaking of Hitler, which is the way that they would, a lot of them think. Uh, or in some ways, I think maybe live through a time where you know, they experienced those things in life. Like that was, that was part of the world. Right. And so, you know, there was a way that life was going to happen to you. That's that right. Now, I think That's especially right. people are able to sort of choose their own reality is, is not, you know, is not always the case. They did because they did still have to go through the hard knocks. They did still have to go through the path mm-hmm. of death and all that kind of, but I just think sometimes now we're just kind of more in a season um, culturally, where we we have a, we have technologies to help us avoid the things that they that they probably couldn't have avoided, mm-hmm. and we move so fast because mm-hmm. of technology. I just go, you know, I have my beliefs now, and I wonder when I'm sixty or seventy how difficult it's going to be for me to let go of the let go of what I believe oh, so sure. so fully and certain I'm certain of, and look at a younger guy and go, oh, he's bringing something new in, right. and I want to listen to him now. Yeah. That's going to be We've hard. We've thought for about me. that a lot, because yeah. like, right now 
we're, we're so we're like we have such an amazing <laughs> answer right well, and and then you know somebody else is gonna have a better one yes, we, yes, grew, yes. we all grew yes. up in the, the the culture where churches were transitioning from traditional to contemporary mm-hmm. and we had to watch church splits <laughs> happen because they've moved a drum set into the church right. oh yeah right. and people were so like hell bent on going no no yeah. drums yeah. and church was where people were literally f- splitting off because, because of a drum, of the drum. Sure, absolutely. and so for me it's like i don't want to adopt that yeah i want to make sure yeah. that when i'm an elder i can i can i don't want to be saul yeah right right now i'm trying to be david but eventually i'll have an opportunity to be mm-hmm. saul and i don't want to be saul I, you know I yeah. just don't <laughs> this is good this is so good what are your what are your dreams for the table you're going into the next season of your life. You're transition. You're in a transition. You're moving yeah. into something. Well, have you defined that yet? Have you? Have you? Or or have you had some things coming up that you're like, okay, this is what I'm kind of seeing. I don't. I don't feel like it's very defined. Um, I mean, when I started a community before I was 27, it's been 13 years. It's hard to believe. And some of it's kind of a science experiment. Like I, you know, if I'm seeing. You know what? What what is going to come out now? My my sense of it, um, and I don't know if these seem like odd. Well, no, I guess not. These are the intersections. It's like I I have so I've longed for for such a long time to see some kind of expression that has, you know, liturgical rhythm, embodied practices, but has more like the uh, the joy and the robustness of gospel and black gospel like that kind of like kind of primal sound to it yes uh but then uh and in and in a more inclusive open kind of theology so like but somewhere it's some, somewhere to me there's some some kind of magic i think in those things but those aren't you typically don't come in an environment where those things are brought together i've actually been wanting to ask you this question lately because i you know how I think you know how I think a little bit, and I kind of challenge. So theology, what is theology? It's the, the way we think about God, right? How, how do we create a body theology? A body theology? Like, we're talking about embodiment. Yeah. And we need to understand that God isn't just thoughts. God is in our body. Yeah. How do, like, how do we create an embodied, the, like, an embodied theology, essentially? Well, I, I tend to think that the only way an embodied kind of theology can be created is by doing, you know, it's not, it's not an ideology. That's what, which is what's so challenging to get there is that even we try to figure out, right. We we try to figure out ideologically something that can only be done through embodied practice, no other way to do it, but to do it. And of course, you know, for somebody like me, you always want to fall back to talking about it. Right. You know, but I had, I I did learn a lot from, I'm not saying I'll do exactly the same way, but my friend, Aaron Nequist, who did this uh, kind of experimental community called the practice in Chicago. Oh, wow. That was the premise. I would, and he would bring me in to speak, you know, two or three times at least a year. And it was always challenging because this was their premise that whoever the teacher was that week would teach for 20 minutes. But for every minute of teaching, there was an equal minute of guided practice. So if that you have a 20-minute sermon, exactly you've got a 20-minute practice. And every single... And, what, and then it's different practices every week. Yeah. Right. So, of course, as little as experience as I've had with any of that, how challenging was it to always think, like, <laughs> I mean, it's the 10-minute talk, I'm like, oh, sure. But what, am I, what will I do this time for a 20-minute practice? And it was challenging, but it was so helpful to have to do that. Yeah. You know? yeah. To have to, to think, like, okay, we're going to do something together as a people that we think will help embed this instead of just lecture about it right which is so you know embedded in the nervous system yes but see i think that's what people think 
and what worship has played a role in doing, but it's, it doesn't get all the way in. Yeah. And, um, it's either been service, which is great, but you can't just go serve the poor to, um, move out the trauma of your terror and your nervous That's system, right. mm-hmm. you know, and, and worship has been great. Um, but people lift their hands, hoping that God will zap them from the sky. It's a practice of otherness. It's a practice of otherness. It's like, here's this music. Oh, wow. The presence was really out strong. There to that. It's everybody's lifting their hands, reaching for something as if it's not inside of your physical temple, inside of every cell of your being. And so I think there's something, you know, new that Mm -hmm. is yet to be, you know, the contemplative prayer model or meditation or, um, I'm into movement because I know how movement moves into your nervous system. So if you ever have me come to the table, I'll, I'll make you get on the floor and do nonlinear movement method with me, which will stretch you. I I spent half of my worship life on the floor, you guys. What do you think? You were rolling around, you were steamrolling. This is what is great about the Bible that we, I think we're just not getting is that it says your body is a temple. It's a vessel. Our nervous system is a container. And what are we filling our container with and how are we, how, you know, if I were to put a bucket in the middle of the table and visual, then I can see the bucket. Am I putting dirty water into the bucket? Am I feeling myself as bucket? Am I feeling myself as a container for these things? And what do I need to do to care for that container? Do I need to clean out this side because it's got some of my childhood wounds on it? Do I need to clean out some of this sand that's at the bottom because it's got some damage that the, I feel like the church has done to me? Do I need, what, how do I expand my capacity Oh, uh, make this bucket deeper. How do I? How do I do that? How do I fully see myself worthy as a container for this divine light energy that the God that I'm experiencing inside myself? How do I do that? That's what I love about what you're talking about. It's so funny too because I can't stress enough like how much how not native to me this is. I mean, we're. I mean, I I almost hate it. it. Not even just in terms of what I do. I prefer lectures. I like to listen to hours of talks. I don't want to, if, I, if I'm in any kind of a church or conference environment, I don't want to be made to do anything or made to interact or any of that. Like, I totally just want to, like, <laughs> to keep Netflix on and just sort of like, so this is, it's, this is not because I like it. Yeah. It's not like, oh, you this is like just what I'm into. Yeah. I'm not into it at all. That's yeah. the thing. But I realize it's the, it is the path of transformation. It's the only thing that works. Right. It's the only and it's thing it's that just works. it gives another definition of idol idolization to me too. Mm. Because we look at an idol and we go, Oh, that's God over there. Yeah. And God's going, No, no, no. This body you're in? And so oftentimes theology can become an idol. Oh, for sure. We put our entire ex- our experience into thinking as opposed to embodying embodying and put it and, and in that way we are missing out on the full experience of God and the full experience of our transformation. I mean, if, if the, to me, that's it's it's basically all that Christianity is. What is it? I mean, it's the beginning of John, the Word made flesh. That's the whole the thing. Word the Word made, made flesh. flesh. Hilarious <laughs> that we missed that. It's all about incarnation. It's all about embodiment. And yet we make it into ideas about the Word made flesh. Well, I, that's let's talk part about of the him. problem with the theology. <laughs> that's that right. Je- Jesus is the Word made flesh. And he's going, no, 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 no. No, no, no. All of you are the Word made flesh. All of you. Spirit's coming so that you have access to every single thing and you'll do greater things than I did because you'll have the internet. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> You'll have podcasts. Yes. I mean, we have access to so much. You'll fly from country to country. You'll fly from country to country. I know. It's amazing. Okay, we're going to miss you so much. I'm going to miss you guys. I we'll just see, can't we even. still have to find ways to do this all the time and bring <laughs> okay. other people with us. What's in the middle of Oklahoma City and Nashville? Nothing? Little Rock. Little Rock. Oh, hey. I, Y'all want to hang out in Little Rock? Let's go to Little Rock. Listen, it's not I, bad. we both, he was born in Arkansas and I went to college a, in Arkansas. I'm a native of Arkansas. Well, we'll do it. Okay. There's some pretty places. It's, it's hot springs. Four hours. We, can go, we can go to hot the hot springs. Yeah, I like this. We'll go to the baths, I like this. The bath houses. Not together. We're <laughs> 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 not together. Hot springs. That'd be awesome. I know. We'll hear about that on social media. <laughs> <laughs> bath houses. They're bath starting houses. Christian bath houses. Well, that's. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. And here's what I love. I'm going to have an account called spiritually sexy here's what we can watch do. out here's what we can do we can host a table in hot springs where we teach people how to go from their head to their heart yes that brings right? i Let's like it. Or, it or we can host a sorry i was thinking the table head to heart we can host son of a preacher man Ooh. where we bring people from their head to their heart i like it i like it i think i'm, I'm ready to have signups right now right i now. think people are, this, right is, now. this is the gift the world needs uh, right in this now. moment i think so <laughs> i love Come you guys on, thank man. you so love much you so it's been much. amazing <laughs> Thank you for listening today. More from Jonathan Martin. Go to jonathanmartinwords.com and follow him on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to support this podcast and help us keep going, go to patreon.com slash sonofapreacherman and we appreciate your support. Remember, no matter who you are or where you come from, we hope this podcast will help you come to know the love that calls you by your true name. God bless.